0: Welcome to CC Partners, the employer's choice. We provide expert legal and strategic advice in all areas of labor and employment law. By working closely with our clients, our experienced team delivers pragmatic, proactive solutions, resolving many issues before they escalate. Get to know us better at ccpartners.ca.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode nine of the Lawyers for Employers podcast, brought to you by CC Partners. My name is Kelsey Orth, and I am one of the Lawyers for Employers at CC Partners. With me today is Mike McClellan. Hello. With the Senate recently passing the Cannabis Legalization Bill, we thought it would be a good time to look at what that might mean for employers.
0: It certainly has been a hot topic. In fact, our lawyers have written four different issues of our Employers Edge blog on the topic of marijuana in the workplace since only March of 2018. Of course, you can find all of our blogs online on our website at www.ccpartners.ca. So in this
1: episode, we will review the importance of having an updated workplace drug and alcohol policy and what the law is telling us are appropriate responses to workers smoking dope at work. In fact, we might call this a podcast rather than a podcast. We will also take a look at a recent decision from the Supreme Court of Canada to deny leave to appeal in a drug testing case from Alberta. First let's start with the legalization of cannabis. As we know, Prime Minister Trudeau has decreed that this will come into force on October 17th, 2018. But what does that mean for employers?
0: Kelsey, I won't be surprised when, inevitably, employers start calling me, asking me about employees who get bold, saying that now that pot is legal, they can smoke it during the workday. Or maybe I have a prescription, so I can't get in trouble for smoking weed on my break. And uh, frankly, that's nonsense. In my view, cannabis use is no different from alcohol and prescription opioids. Now, if it's not allowed in the workplace, it's not allowed in the workplace, regardless of whether it's legal or illegal.
1: That's a good point, Mike. I mean, most employers have drug and alcohol policies that prohibit people from being intoxicated at work. Does it need to be any different with respect to marijuana now that it's legal?
0: No, it really doesn't, especially when we're looking at safety-sensitive positions or other positions where being impaired at work could be not only dangerous but unproductive. So it's important to have an updated drug and alcohol use policy at work that contemplates marijuana in the workplace. Or if you don't have a policy in the first place, now is definitely the time to get into action. One trick is really going to be making sure that drug and alcohol policy is enforceable. So a few things for our employer listeners to keep in mind. Drug and alcohol policies, like all workplace policies, really should be minimally restrictive. They should be rational and rationally connected to potential issues in the workplace. And they should also be implemented and enforced consistently and in good faith.
1: So Mike, I I recently wrote a blog, which as Mike mentioned, you can find at www.ccpartners.ca about that recent decision of the Supreme Court of Canada. But I'm wondering what else you can tell us about what the courts, arbitrators and other decision makers have been saying about marijuana in the workplace recently.
0: Yeah, the case you're talking about, Kelsey, the the Suncor case had to do with testing employees for drugs at work. There have been uh, several other cases that our firm has blogged about recently with respect to other workplace marijuana issues. For example, on May 24th of this year, our colleague Brian described a case where an employer decided not to put an employee in a particular position on a project because the position was a, it was highly safety sensitive, and the worker was undergoing a, a medical treatment that included prescription for medical marijuana. The arbitrator agreed in that case that the employer's decision was right. In the particular circumstances of that case, the employee could not reasonably be expected to carry out the job in a productive and safe manner. We also have a couple of recent cases dealing with employees who were actually terminated for smoking marijuana while at work. For example, on May 7th, 2018, in a blog by our colleague Susan Crawford, an employee was a painter who was caught smoking dope on a swing stage 37 floors off of the ground. He was also not even properly tethered to the swing stage and was fired. What the employee did in response was actually bring a claim to the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario, saying that the employer's zero tolerance policy for drugs and alcohol discriminated against him because he had a prescription for marijuana. The Human Rights Tribunal paid no heed to that argument at all. They dismissed the complaint outright and upheld the termination. The tribunal itself found that the employee had all of the appropriate safety training, and he knew that marijuana was prohibited, and he had not sought any accommodation for his medical marijuana usage. So the tribunal had no patience for his arguments in this respect. Finally, back in March, March 8th, 2018, I wrote a blog about two janitors at the University of Windsor who were terminated for smoking marijuana on their break during the shift and also on campus. The university undertook an investigation to find out what happened and these two janitors were determined not only to have been smoking marijuana at work but to have been dishonest in the course of the investigation. This really resulted in a loss of trust in the janitors because they were unsupervised and they had access to locked areas of the campus and worked in close proximity to the students. In that case, the arbitrator upheld the terminations. So, in your view, if and
1: when this comes to pass in October of this year and marijuana is legal,
0: would cases like these be decided any differently? No, I really don't think they would. There's no reason why they ought to be decided any differently. These decisions and the measures taken by employers were all rationally connected to the work or the work environment. It really had nothing to do with whether the substance was legal or not. And now, Kelsey, I'm actually going to ask you about a question that we received online. It was submitted by a listener via Twitter, and you can find us on Twitter, at CCPartnersLaw, and you can ask us your questions using the hashtag Partners. So this week's question is, what does the law say about drug testing employees?
1: Right. So. And this will build a little bit on your comments, Mike, about enforceable policies and the need to keep intoxicated workers out of the workplace and and keep the workplace safe. But where we run into the issue is with respect to the testing and justifying the testing. Now, we see this not only in the workplace, but if you've paid attention at all to the debate around the legalization of cannabis, a lot has been made of the inability of authorities or enforcement agencies To test reasonably and reliably. And in fact, in advance of the legalization of marijuana in October, the law enforcement agencies are scrambling, I guess would be the, the way to put it, with respect to figuring out the best way to determine impairment. Now I'm by no means an expert on the science of this issue, but the debate that has long been had in the employment context is about the fact that the saliva testing, which is the most often used form of testing in the workplaces at least, doesn't really deal with measuring current impairment. The typical saliva test, in addition to being cumbersome in terms of getting results back in a timely manner, is actually only indicative of drug use at some point in a relatively open time period preceding the test. So we don't know whether someone's impaired at the time the saliva test is taken. And although many technological advances have been made, The scientific research has not yet confirmed there's a method of drug testing out there that is analogous to the breathalyzer for alcohol, which would be obviously the biggest boon to law enforcement and may well help employers as well. And what the breathalyzer does, we know it has the ability to measure current impairment, it has a high level of accuracy, with a minimal level of intrusion, and it has a rapid response time, the breathalyzer.
0: Okay, so we're kind of waiting for the best method of testing to develop, but I guess there's another question, which is when can an employer uh, request or even require their employee to submit to a drug test?
1: You got it, I mean, in in the employment context, this has been a long-standing debate. When is it appropriate to test for drug impairment? And that's what the Suncor case that you mentioned by name and that I recently wrote a blog on was all about. So a brief recap here. In 2013, Suncor implemented a random drug testing policy. And while it has long been established in the law that a dangerous or safety-sensitive workplace alone does not justify random drug testing, at that time, Suncor had relied on the then-recent decision in Irving pulp and paper, to say, well, if we can identify a general problem of substance abuse in our workplace, we can therefore implement a comprehensive random testing policy. And they said, this is in keeping with the approach that the Supreme Court of Canada set out in that Irving pulp and paper case. So the union grieved Suncor's introduction of this comprehensive random drug testing policy, and the original arbitration panel actually ruled against Suncor. Suncor then appealed, and the Alberta Court of Appeal Quash that decision on the basis that the panel, the arbitration panel that is, made an improper and arbitrary distinction between the workplace as a whole, where Suncor had identified a general problem with substance abuse, and the specific bargaining unit, which was the union unit who grieved the testing.
0: So the union was saying that establishing a general problem with drug or alcohol that you're testing for in the workplace is different from establishing a general problem in the restricted bargaining unit that the union was representing. Correct, the union relied
1: on the specific evidence that the employer brought forward, which and essentially said, well, you're not talking about our people alone or our people specifically, but rather the workplace as a whole. And the arbitration panel at the time found that to be persuasive, but obviously the Alberta Court of Appeal said, no, no, workplace as a whole is an appropriate justification for introducing such a policy, which to me makes sense. I mean we want to keep the workplace safe and if there's a general problem that should be enough to to justify it.
0: So then what did the Court of Appeal and Supreme Court of Canada have to say about this case? So essentially in quashing the
1: arbitration panel's decision and then uh, with the Supreme Court of Canada denying further leave to appeal, I think what we've got is an affirmation that random drug testing is permissible as long as the employer can establish that the workplace is dangerous or that there is a certain sensitivity to the safety of the workplace and that there has been a general problem with drug or alcohol abuse in the workplace. It doesn't have to be specific to the employees who are designated to be in that one specific job, but rather the workplace as a whole. Now, I would imagine that we would have to still demonstrate a reasonable and rational connection so you can't extrapolate that random drug testing policy out to, say, the accountant who might be connected to Suncor and working in a different office. But I think a reasonable extension throughout the workplace makes sense, and, and that's what the court's getting at. So, I mean, to go back to the Irving pulp and paper case, even though this case is going to be re-arbitrated, I think the, the Supreme Court's refusal to allow that leave to appeal means that the law stands as it was set out then in 2013. And what that tells us then is, one, employers absolutely have a right to test for impairment in safety sensitive workplaces. Two, that test can be justified either where an accident occurs or where there's an incident known as a near miss, and third, we can institute random drug testing if we can demonstrate that there is a general problem with drugs in the workplace, and the same goes for alcohol.
0: Okay, Kelsey, I understand, and that makes sense in these kind of safety-sensitive, inherently safety-sensitive industries, but what about a zero-tolerance policy generally? Will, will a zero-tolerance drug and alcohol policy be Legally justifiable? In
1: short, I would say no. I don't think that we can restrict the use or effect of marijuana around all the working hours of an employee. And in that regard, let me ask you I mean, do you think employers will have an unfettered right to discipline employees for using marijuana?
0: Likewise, I would say no. I think it's really going to be a contextual answer on each case by case basis. Any employer response has to be reasonable and appropriate in the circumstances. That includes actually accommodating an employee in the proper circumstances. For example, if an employee has a prescription for medical marijuana, an employer I think would at least have to explore whether it is possible to allow an employee to continue their employment in the workplace while undergoing this particular medical treatment. I think that's kind of textbook duty to accommodate. But I think another issue that employers are gonna have to be prepared for is off-duty conduct. Kelsey, do you think employers can take any measures to discipline employees for off-duty conduct related to marijuana? Well, I think similar
1: to the way the law has developed with respect to general off-duty conduct, As they say, employers are not the custodians of employees' good character. However, we do know that off-duty conduct can come into the disciplinary realm where it makes the employment relationship impossible to continue, or where it brings the employer into disrepute. Some examples related specifically to marijuana might be uh, trafficking, contraband marijuana, be the same as bootlegging alcohol or selling opioids or bringing marijuana into the workplace, trying to deal marijuana, whether it's contraband or not, or getting intoxicated, getting too high, and doing something stupid, like we saw with that particular Hydro One employee and his incredibly off color and inappropriate comments at the Toronto FC game where he made the lewd comment that was captured on the news in the interview. So I think, in general, I mean, we have to be prepared for some changes, and certainly, as you mentioned, for the the bold or emboldened employee who says, hey, this is legal. I can smoke it at work now. And in that regard, I think employers need to be prepared to implement and enforce updated policies and give some thought to where specific reference needs to be made to marijuana, whether it be about on-duty conduct or off-duty conduct.
0: Yeah, and I guess if I could leave our listeners with a final thought, it would be first don't take for granted that you're powerless now that marijuana is going to be legal for recreational use in Canada, and also still be prepared to examine each case contextually and rationally to determine what your appropriate response is if somebody wants to consume or be under the influence. Of marijuana in the workplace. Uh, you'll have the power in the appropriate circumstances to take disciplinary action, but be smart about it and make sure that that is the appropriate response.
1: And as always, anytime you have a question, don't hesitate to contact any of the lawyers at CC Partners and we can guide you through this uncharted territory. For contact info, to review our blogs, or to listen to previous podcasts, Go to www.ccpartners.ca Thanks for listening to this episode of the Lawyers for Employers podcast.